Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds, a podcast about food and relationships. I'm a restaurant critic and food writer based in Atlanta, Georgia. This week's guest is Chef Zeb Stevenson. Hi, Zeb. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do it. Could you please introduce yourself to listeners who may not know who you are? Absolutely. I'm Zeb Stevenson. I am the chef and partner of a restaurant here in Atlanta called Red Bird. Um, previously of a uh, somewhat checkered past, I've been around uh, Atlanta for some time as a chef. Checkered? <laughs> I always like to say that. That's my, uh, that's, that's a little bit of shtick that I do, but uh, no, I was the chef at, um, I was a chef at Watershed um, <clears throat> for about four years up until the point that it was sold and it uh, that enabled us to open Redbird, and that's a different story I'm sure we'll get into. And I was at a place called Parrish before that, and I was the chef at the uh, the Georgian Terrace Hotel and the restaurant. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's digging deep. Somebody <laughs> mentioned you the other Justin Dixon mentioned cooking with you at Spice Market the other day, and I had totally forgotten that you worked there as well. But <laughs> when did you know? I mean, like, I've interviewed you in the past for mm -hmm. other stories, so I kind of know your story, but listeners don't. When did you know that food was going to be a thing for you? I think that I knew the second that I started working in a restaurant. And that was back in 1997. Um, I had never worked in a restaurant before. I had done many different kinds of work. Prior to that, I had worked on a lot of construction sites. I had done factory work. Um, I worked in a guitar shop and, uh, and never had any desire, aspiration or inkling or inclination to work in a restaurant. But <clears throat> I found myself after dropping out of college, I found myself in Southern Indiana living with some friends of mine. Um, and, uh, the deal was, was I got to live in their basement if I got a job. And my buddy Chris worked at the uh, the Waffle House downtown in Bloomington, Indiana, and he got me a job washing dishes there. And I, I'm, it's hard for me to express how much I connected to the restaurant world day one, minute one. It was unlike any kind of work I'd ever done before. It was, it was dynamic and alive and exciting and weird and felt like a refuge. Um, but I had never cooked. Um, but I, did, I can tell you with certainty that I knew at that point that there, I just walked in the door and there was no going back. We were going to make something out of this. Did you have like a moment as a child? You know, I don't know if you ever saw that movie Ratatouille. Uh -huh. And it's like the critic, Anton Igor, what have you, is like transported back to that bite of Ratatouille in some like French countryside house. Like, was there like a moment when like you were a kid that, because I mean, I... I have a 10 year old, as you know, and I mean, there's a lot of kids that don't eat anything but chicken nuggets. I have to imagine you might have been different. Um, was there a moment as a child that you ate something and it sparked something? Well, you're you're right and wrong. Um, and yes and no are the answers to that question. <laughs> I'll get a little further into it. The, the one thing that that. I have to get off my chest and I don't spend a lot of time talking about this stuff because I've got a little bit of a complex about it um, and many other things, but that's a different conversation is that I did not grow up 
in a house that ate great food. Um, I had, I didn't grow up cooking next to my grandmother. I know chefs love to tell these stories about how they, they garden with their grandfather and cook next to the, you know, the matriarch of the family and they, the recipes were handed. That wasn't us. We ate processed food. We, we ate a Midwestern diet of garbage. Honestly, I knew nothing about great food. Um, and your father was a religious man, no? My father was a preacher. He was a pastor mm-hmm. and uh, an evangelical, a charismatic Christian. Did you ever see him? Um, did you ever see the documentary Jesus Camp? I sure did. So when people watch that documentary, to them, that it's it's wild, it's unbelievable. And when I watched it, I was like, yes, that looks very normal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at any rate, I can tell you there were there were still a few food moments um, in that church. There was a family who came to live in our town, and they were they were from Germany. And I remember going to their house for dinner because as the preacher's family always were invited to people's house for dinner. And, um, and we were served spätzle, or as we call it, spätzle. Oh my God, I love spätzle. Me too. I had, I, I had never seen anything quite like it. And, uh, you know, it turns out in the grand scheme of things, it's a pretty plain dish, but I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever eaten. Mm-hmm. And that family gardened. And so they would serve these salads of, of, did these tender greens, things like a mosh and, and very small heads of red mm. oak um, that were grown right outside um, in the compost that they made from all their food scraps. And I was like, these people live a different life. I do remember, there's another thing that I remember, and that is that um, we only really ate tomatoes in the summertime. And we weren't, again, we weren't gardeners. We weren't food people by any means, but every plate of food in the summer had a slice of ripe tomato on it. And, uh, and, and so resultant of that, I, you know, it's always been really easy for me to get on board with the idea of seasonality, because even if just one item, it still felt like some kind of connection. Um, it was just a thing we did. It was the way we ate. Um, I grew up a lot around, around a lot of people who canned food as well. And again, we didn't can food. We, we watched TV, but we knew a lot of people who grew and canned their own food and, and lived more agricultural lives. And it was, a, it was an interesting upbringing for sure. And when did you start getting into cooking just before oh. it was even like a culinary career? Uh, I didn't. Um, it, this is, I, I'm, I'm, I've been wrestling or struggling with how I'm just going to be truthful in telling people in a public way, the story of my life with food, um, because I think it's a little bit different than what people would expect and maybe even a little disappointing. I find a lot of joy in the differences, to be quite honest. I think if everyone grew vegetables and grew up cooking with their grandmother, you know, this this podcast wouldn't really have a lot of <laughs> to stand up. You know, like, I like, yeah. like how Todd Ginsburg was like, I was just good at it, like, you know, vocationally, you know, and and and, it, and then it became something for him. So I don't think there's any like right way or wrong way to get so, to where yeah, you get. You're right. You're right. I, that's, All that matters are... is like the today, right? And you're like an amazing chef. <laughs> I mean, you're one of my favorite chefs in the city. Oh, thank you. I, yes. I, I can tell you that that this is a funny story. My mother would confirm this when I moved out of the house. Um, when I started, went to live on my own, I was such a terrible cook that my mother was, she was worried 
that I wouldn't be able to feed myself that I wouldn't be able to survive in the real world because I couldn't cook. And, and that's the thing I tell, I was, I was, uh, recording another podcast yesterday and I was telling them, uh, offline, I do not have a gift. I am not a gifted cook. I did not grow up. I don't have great taste. I'm fundamentally good at figuring things out. Mm. That's what I'm really, truly good at. I am good at taking things apart, putting them together and understanding how they work and then, and, and, developing that passion towards making them the greatest version of themselves they can be. And when I started, when I started as a dishwasher, um, and I realized, like I said, very quickly that this was it for me, there was really no going back. Then the next logical step is, well, how can I turn this into a career? And, and I knew that I would have to learn how to cook Mm -hmm. and, and I poured my resources into doing that and practice. I remember the first real chef that I worked for um, up in Bloomington, Indiana, he gave me, he was, he went to CIA and he gave me, you know, that big thick textbook. Oh yeah. I, did, I think oh, I still have it here behind me. What is it called? It's um, it's got a particular name. I called it the God book, but um, he gave me his copy. He said, I'm going to loan this to you for the time that you work here. All you have to do Mine's is learn. Is professional cooking. Fifth edition. That's it. It's huge. It's, it's got to be almost four inches thick, this thing. Yes, yes, it's very big. And he said, <laughs> all, all you have to do is learn how to do the things in here, and you'll do great. And I took him very literally because I'm a naive Midwesterner who takes everything at face. And so I just opened up the book, and I would sit at home at the coffee table watching television and just, okay, we're going to practice dicing. We're going to practice brunoise. We're going to practice julienne. We're going to yeah, – and just – kept going and i don't honestly jen it's 20 something years later sometimes i turn around and i, I look around i'm like how'd i get here <laughs> we just started and just kept going and, and things just became what they are didn't you study and did you what did you study literature or something in school? No, I, like I, I studied painting painting. I knew it was a creative art. So you are a creative person. This is the interesting thing I'm finding out about chefs in Atlanta and just chefs in general in is that they're not always like I interviewed Brian So of Spring last mm-hmm. week and he had a very similar answer to you that he 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 just seems to understand components, right? right? So it's almost like you're a technician and like you understand he's like he's like, I understand how every ingredient is going to impact the dish. Cause he's like you very gifted in making vegetable forward dishes. The guy's um, brilliant. He understands how things interact with each other under, uh, under, you know, a number of variables. And that's, that's really what it takes. So does that make you guys more technical or scientific cooks? Um, I, I guess I guess it kind of does. It, it, the argument, well, not argument, but the debate will, I believe, will always rage on about whether what we do is art, craft, or science. And I, I, I feel like, yeah, that, that puts us more in the category of technicians. I think it's like a little bit of everything, right? I do too. I, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's my, the older I get, the more I realize that, you know, it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B for most answers. Isn't but... that, that's kind of how it is that the older we get, the more experienced I, I can speak for myself is that I, I start to understand that 
everything's a complex issue and nothing has a simple answer. Everything requires, you know, multiple variables, variables to be what it is. So, you know, I do want to, you know, we, we talked about, about, you know, your food journey and getting to be a, a cook. Um, you know, I mean, what has it been like, I guess, just your relationship to cooking as an adult? What do you get? I know it is your living, but I have to imagine that it also brings you some sort of emotion. Absolutely. What role does food and, and, and also cooking play in your life? Honestly, it's, it is everything to me. It really, really is. And, and I hear chefs talk about the fact that, that when they get home, they, they can't wait to not cook. And I, I can't, I can't understand it. It's, it's the one thing that has always brought me comfort and joy and, and linked me to, to people. I, I used to say that I, I, it was almost as if kitchens were invented. So I would have one place to feel comfortable in the world. And, and, and I, I would never want to escape from it. I, I, I can't wait to plan meals at home on a, on the nights that the restaurants closed. Um, I keep adding on and building on to my outdoor kitchen. <laughs> I just got a, I just got a wood burning oven and, and we're just having so much fun. It's, it's so exciting. It's so fulfilling. And, and <clears throat> I never want to not do it. And, and for you, like also food, I, it, I remember, you know, I've known you for a while through yeah. Southern foodways and through Atlanta for listeners, um, who, sense the familiarity <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know you also went through quite a transformation at one point in your life when you know food became wellness for you i feel like when you started working out super hard yeah, yeah. um you know because when we met you were like chain smoking i think like both of us were <laughs> like things oh, are very man. different now you know um I, I used to rip through two packs of heaters a day <laughs> I mean, what changed? I mean, what what was that transformation like, and and how did it affect your relationship with food and eating? Um, so to to warn um, and to be and to be completely honest, and that's I, I've decided one of the biggest kind of things I've committed to in life in the recent uh, past is committing to always practicing honesty. Mm -hmm. which is very, very difficult and can sometimes get you into territory that you don't want to be in. But since that's the commitment, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And it'll bring up some things from the past that aren't, aren't really great, but I was, yeah, I, I lived a very unhealthy lifestyle. Um, I, I, yeah, I smoked, like I said, two packs a day was very inactive. Um, things weren't going great. And at the time, at the time I was married, and, uh, and my now ex-wife um, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And she's doing great, by the way. Um, and uh, that experience changed me in profound, profound ways. Um, and I was not dealing with it very well. In fact, I was dealing with it terribly. And I was seeing a counselor and the counselor asked me, said, what kind of, what kind of physical exercise do you get? And I said, none. He said, why don't you just try it? Just, just try something. And, uh, 
and so I decided that I would. And I bought I bought a bicycle because I remember that was the thing that when I was a kid we would do for recreation. It was always a lot of fun. And I got on the bike and I rode one day and then I rode the next and then I just kept going until it became a lifestyle. And the next thing I knew was I was doing hundred mile bike rides on the regular. And wow. part of, yeah, I know. <laughs> because I just can't do a little bit of anything. <laughs> I was about to say, go hard. Go <laughs> yeah. hard. But when you make that kind of change in your life, um, especially when it comes when it comes to that level of physical exercise, you got to start using food as, as fuel or else or else your body is not going to be able to perform. And I still had to work. And so I started developing this relationship with food that was different than I'd ever had. It was, it was important to me to eat things that fueled my, my new lifestyle in productive ways and that made me feel good. And so all of a sudden I'm paying attention to how I feel after I eat certain things and and started to make some real connections about the fact that food, yeah, it, it isn't just fuel um, and it's not just an experience. It can be both in medicine and, and really makes a difference in how you live out in the, in the world. Wow. Man. What, you okay over there? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. It's just, you know, a lot of this is stuff that I haven't talked about in a long time um, mm-hmm. because it's been over a decade ago. And so, you know, understanding or knowing how to talk about <clears throat> things that you never talk about can be a little, a little jarring, but I feel like yeah, it's I good. Just think, yeah. Honest. Yeah. But like, I mean, just like honest, like, I mean, like when I first, like my first interview was Kevin Gillespie and I mean, he talked about not wanting to cook anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, like we talked about how he feels about his body Yeah. and you know, like how he, even though he has all these successes, he like none of it computes. So I know it's hard, but like. I think like that's why that's why with food these relationships with ourselves always so important too you know um so again i appreciate you speaking about it because you never know how it'll help someone that's what i always think yeah you know you never know who's listening um you know like wellness is like a huge part of everyone's vocabulary right now so i mean it makes you know i mean it's we're all struggling for that balance especially after covid I do want to talk about COVID, but mm-hmm. first I do want to talk about what the experience was like opening your own restaurant um, and, and then what has happened in the past two years. Because, I mean, I went by there the other day when we ran into each other and it is bustling. I mean, you have a very hearty outdoor patio scene, you know, that part of town, like I don't even recognize it. It's crazy how much foot traffic there is. Can you can you talk about what it was like opening your first restaurant and not only your first restaurant, but your, it was in the former Bacchanalia space, which, you know, you, you can't get more hallowed institution than that in Atlanta dining. It was quite a whirlwind. I'll tell you that. Um, and it was at this time we built a restaurant in 2019. We started construction in March ish and opened in August. And it was during a time when there were a lot of restaurants being built a lot of restaurants being opened. <clears throat> it was exciting to be part of a time where chefs were opening restaurants again. Um, you know, after the big recession and the fallout in 2008, when the industry started to kind of peak back out, 
there weren't a lot of chefs who are opening restaurants. There were big groups opening restaurants and chefs going to work for them. And, and that makes sense because there was more security in that. And then you hit 2017, 18, 19, and all of a sudden chefs who've been working and, and making their names all of a sudden are opening restaurants. Terry Koval is opening his restaurant. Jared Stever is opening his restaurant. Um, you know, um, I'm doing my thing and, 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 Shai Lavi at the time was opening a restaurant, like all this stuff is going on. And, and so it was, it felt like we were kind of re-emerging as this little niche chef community um, doing something really exciting. Um, and, and the same, you know, in the same token, it was, I felt so much pressure because <clears throat> this was my first thing. This was my first, um, not just first foray into ownership. I felt like I could handle that, but more the fact that the conversation surrounding my career was, oh, this person, this guy finally has his own vehicle. Um, as the chef at other restaurants, I always, I'd always i heard this my entire career leading up to that. I'd heard people say, well, you, you, you know, you're working in somebody else's box. We can't wait to see what you do when you have your own vehicle. And that was a lot. And I felt that pressure um, and dealt with those questions. You know, can I, can I live up to it? Um, do I even know what my, what my language is? Um, I had some real questions about that. Um, am I bringing on the right people? Do they understand what my vision is? Can I communicate it to them in a way that they can help me produce it? Um, <clears throat> It's a lot of doubt. It's a lot of doubt, but I'll tell you what, the excitement, I'll never forget. Um, August 12th, that was the day we opened. We opened uh, for lunch that day and we opened the doors and people came in and I, I don't know, very few times in my life can I say I've ever been so elated. So I felt victorious hmm. and I, I was like, oh my gosh, people actually want to, come here, right? You talk to a lot of stuff, so you deal with a lot of people so, who suffer from imposter syndrome, I know. So. I mean, I, I do, I have it. I mean, I certainly do. But I meet people and they're like, I'm a big fan. I was like, what? Like, uh, what? Uh, you know? Like, huh? you know? Oh, but I mean, sure. I, think, I think imposter syndrome is like so, just like, it's just so prevalent with any type of creative, right? Uh, yeah. Because we're all trying to do something different and so much has been done before as well. Yeah, um, everything you do feels derivative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's part but, of why I had stopped painting because it just felt like I had nothing new to say. That's you know? exactly why I stopped painting. People, and I was like, no, 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 I just switched mediums. Right. <laughs> now I write, now I podcast, just like you probably cook. And I know you do a lot of other things, um, like you were gardening before. Um, I, I'm, before I'm, this. That's right. I'm on a landscaping break. I'm doing the front beds. I just build stuff now. That's That's what I do. I just, I, I run a restaurant and cook food and then on my days off, I'm swinging a hammer. You mentioned triumphant, victorious. I mean, that is, that is how I feel this restaurant has been for you. It feels good. It, it looks like it belongs, like it has a sense of place. And then even if I'm not eating there and I pass by and I see you in the open kitchen, um, through the windows, you look happy. The people there look happy. The people working there look happy. Um, and I feel like you've also managed to make it useful 
now that you have the whole biscuit business on mm-hmm. the weekends too, like it's not just like it just feels very accessible. And I was when I was refreshing my memory just with dates and stuff for this interview, you know, one of the things that kept coming up in all of the uh, preliminary interviews about Redbird was that it was very much a come as you are experience. And it Absolutely. feels that way. It feels was, that way. And thank you, because that it, if it didn't turn out that way, I would have felt an extreme sense of failure because it was it was always my goal for Redbird and, and continues to be that you should never worry about what to wear to come to Redbird. It, you can come in on any night. You can see somebody in a suit and somebody in cutoff shorts, and that's perfect. I'm not a fancy guy. I'm, I, you know, I, I grew up in Trailer Park, Indiana. I'm not, I, I wear jeans and t-shirts, and and but I still, but you know, kind of feel like people want great food, and and they shouldn't have to feel bad about how they look or or worry about what shoes they're wearing or or any of that. And that's always been the goal for Redbird. Come as you are. And so what was the past two years like? Everyone's got a different answer. Everyone opened for different amounts of time, closed, <clears throat> you know, did different types of business. What was it like for Zeb and his crew at Redbird? Um, I mean, it, it goes without saying that it was tough. Um, we... We were closed for three months. We reopened in June of 2020. We were open for a week. And then we had we had uh, live cases in the restaurant. So we closed down again. And it's been that roller coaster ride. And it's been it's been difficult for the crew. Um, they're the ones that I really I, I really feel the most for because they're the ones who are taking the ride on, you know, I accepted the responsibility of, of owning a restaurant. So I feel like I don't really get to complain even when things get tough, but creating an environment that feels stable for them has been the biggest challenge uh, of, of everything. Um, they, I, I can't, I can't say enough. And I, I can't say enough how much my team means to me, um, even though they come and go and some of them, are there for a short time, but the time that they're there, I recognize the fact that they are the ones doing the work and committed to making, to making things successful. And, and so coaching and bringing them along through the last two years, has really been, that's been an extreme challenge. Um, and we've learned a lot, um, you know, I've been thinking about this recently and this sounds like a very strange thing to say because the COVID experience has clearly been awful, but we and I and Redbird have brought so much positivity out of it that I don't, I don't believe we would be, well, I believe two things. Number one, I believe that Redbird is drastically better as a restaurant than it was pre-COVID. A hundred thousand percent. I believe that we are cooking better. We are more connected as a kitchen to not only our food, but to each other. That my connection to my team as a leader is more earnest, genuine, um, 
understanding and, and honest than it was pre-COVID. I think that we operate with a higher level of integrity. I think we're just better. Um, but, um, but, oh my God, derailed there for a second. I mean, it really accelerated a lot of technologies, timelines, expansions. Anybody was going to evolve, it, you know, COVID was the time. Um, after the past two years, so now we're starting year three, um, do you still love cooking and hospitality as much as you used to? I do. I absolutely do. Um, it's like, I'm I, sick of cooking. Like, I don't want to cook ever again. I get that. I get that. And I never want to stop. I, I, I want to cook more. I, you know, as a matter of fact, for me now as a business owner and administrator, I spend less time cooking than I want to. And so I find excuses. I find excuses to get in the kitchen and go get in the way and cook and develop new dishes. And that's, that's still always the best part of my job, the most exciting part of my job. And, and, and to see that turn into something that makes people happy never gets old. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, and, and it leads into birdie biscuits, which I never wanted to work the, the uh, service window, but now it's the thing I look forward to most because I get to interact with my customers and, and, you know, do shtick and give people a hard time and make jokes and, you know, it's awesome. <laughs> it is. And, and what's happening with Birdie Biscuits? Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the origin story of Birdie Biscuits was that when we reopened the restaurant, um, we wanted to reopen the dining room for brunch because we had a pretty good brunch business pre-COVID. Um, it was pretty brisk and, and I really wanted to be able to open the dining room. And at that time, we were dealing with drastically lower business levels, um, lower seating capacity, um, a lot more volatility in the business. In, um, you know, decreased staffing levels, increased wages, a lot more volatility in that aspect of it too. And when I put the pen to the paper, I, I determined, I looked at the numbers and I would have had to have been busier for brunch than I was pre-COVID to not lose more money. And let me be honest with you, 100%, we were losing money every day we were open at that point. You know, it's, people were talking about, people were giving restaurants a hard time for opening their dining rooms and saying, oh, you're putting profits over people. I'm like, who's talking, who's making a profit? <laughs> what are, what are you, it felt like that old Jim Mora uh, clip for the NFL fans out there. It's like, playoffs? You're talking about the playoffs. Like, we're, we're losing money every day. We're just trying to survive. And so I knew that I couldn't afford to open the dining room. But we had to make some money, something, anything. We're desperate. We'll come back to that word. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm looking, and, and for people who don't know the space, um, we are very fortunate at Redbird to have these two big functioning windows that open out onto our covered patio. And uh, on the inside of those windows, or on the inside there, in, in between those windows is a big marble table. Um, it was like my one big splurge at the restaurant. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking at these windows 
And I said, well, we could do something. We could do order here, pick up here. Window one, order here. Window two, pick up here. What, what are we going to do? And uh, I thought, what are we, we going to do? Sandwiches? Are we going to do burgers? Are we going to do blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and I landed on biscuits. Um, so, well, you know, we've got a pretty good biscuit on the, or we had a pretty good biscuit on the brunch menu. And I'm pretty good at figuring stuff out. So I, I think I can make this work. We'll keep the menu tight. We'll just throw it out <laughs> there to see what happens. And so the next challenge was, uh, well, I don't want to have to get up at 4 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday mornings to make biscuits. So I need to develop a biscuit recipe that could be mixed the night before and then rolled out the next morning. And in order to do that, you can't leaven the, the biscuit dough with um, baking powder because that depends on that depends on the chemical reaction that would be spent by the time you came in in the morning. So the only way to leaven it is yeast. So we're in this lane now. We're making a yeast-raised biscuit. Okay. Let's try laminating it to get a little bit more lift out of it, make it interesting. And so that's kind of how the whole thing developed. And, and I tell people that Birdie Biscuits and everything about it developed out of sheer desperation. They think I'm being funny, but I'm not. It's 100% true. And it just happened to work. We just decided to make it a good time, you know? And now it is. It's a great time. Like I said earlier, I look forward to working it every week. It's the best part. It's the highlight of my week. And the sandwiches are damn good, too. They look gorgeous. I mean, oh, you post man. them on Instagram all the time. Uh, and they look really good. <laughs> um, so, so you still love cooking. You still love oh, yeah. being a restaurant owner. Oh, yeah. Um, what's next? Is this, is, are you just content? I, 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 you know, I always have to ask, like, are you, are you you cooking at any events? Do you have any appearances? You know, like, is there anything coming up that you want to, you know, promote? Um, if you want to just even tell people, you know, about your restaurant, um, and, and when to come and any specials. I, I am privileged to say for the first time in my life and it this is at 47 years old um 47 i've got i've got hard miles on me honestly <laughs> but for the first time in my life i'm i feel so i'm actually happy it's weird if you had told 24 year old me i'd be saying this i'd tell you you're out of your mind but I feel very content. I'm not worried about what's coming next. I don't care about money. I have a, I have a beautiful, modest home that brings me all the joy in the world. And I've got a great partner who makes me really happy. And I, I have a great restaurant. Like, what else do I want? What do I, you know, mm-hmm. what do I want more restaurants? No. I'm not saying never, but right now, I don't think about those sorts of things because I feel like I, look, from a kid who grew up in poverty with, you know, with with no opportunity, the best that I ever, anybody ever expected out of my life was to, was to work in a factory and, and 
hope to one day retire with a few bucks in my pocket. That was, that's what, that's what blue collar Midwestern life taught you. Mm. And so the fact, you know, the fact that I've achieved any of this, is remarkable. So what's next? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing this. And, and if it, if it comes to pass that at one point I decide that I need to grow in other ways, then we'll do that then. But you'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'm good at figuring (laughs) stuff out. That's the whole, that's, that's the, that's a tagline of the show. (laughs) I'm good at figuring things out. I'm good at figuring things out. And I I love my job. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. So Redbird is, uh, we're open for dinner Wednesday through Saturday. Um, We open at five and uh, we're open till, uh, well, until nine on Wednesday and Thursday, 10 on Friday, Saturday. It's a lot of fun. Um, I haven't even gotten to mention how cool our soundtrack is because it's curated by, uh, by yours truly. Oh, um, nice. I, I love it. Is there um, death metal on it? No, I, actually it's mostly um, post-punk new wave. Nice. And, yeah. I like yeah. anything new wave. It's post-punk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right in my wheelhouse. Now, Birdie Biscuits is a different story. Incidentally, Birdie Biscuits is open Saturday and Sunday from 11 till 2 or till we run out. That's the... Uh, Do you run if, out? Uh, commonly, especially on Sunday. Wow. Wow. Saturday is a little bit different animal. We typically we typically don't sell through entirely on Saturday, but Sunday we do run out. It's usually around 1.30. Um and it's all 80s dance music, by the way, because it's the cheese factor that I love. Love it. Um, uh, go ahead. Uh, and just one thing. I always like to, you know, finish out these these interviews by by actually having you talk about food, because I love to hear what culinary industry people cook for themselves for comfort. So if you're making yourself, you know, a, a comforting meal mm-hmm. um or you know if it's your go-to meal to feel good what what is your feel-good meal tuesday night whole roasted chicken every tuesday like clockwork that's a hundred percent that's what we'll be doing tonight um and uh and what do you serve with it it'll, what do we got um <laughs> what came for the farmer uh, yeah, and usually I, I like to uh, I like to start lightening it up by Tuesday because Sunday night is that's our sun date, and we we cook pretty big. We we go pretty hard on Sundays, so by Tuesday we're trying to lighten up the menu a little bit. So cold green salad, some roasted vegetables, whatever's on the market, roast chicken, boom. <laughs> that is that to me is living a good good life. We're actually having roast chicken and vinegary salad for dinner here. So, Ooh. Uh, Ooh. so same, so same. But, um, but, uh, but, so just um, if people want to follow you and keep up with you, where can they find you? Well, that's going to be a little bit difficult because I, um, I cast off all personal social media right after I opened Redbird. Um, I, uh, I decided that. Good for you. I I'm not know. brave enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm I, too addicted. Oh, that's danger. That's danger. I have regretted it zero times. <laughs> exactly. Don't tell me that. I know. <laughs> tell me you missed it. Um, but they can follow Redbird, no? They, they sure can. They can follow Redbird at uh, Redbird underscore ATL. All um, right, well. Our Instagram, I, I manage the Instagram. Um, 
and it's so it's always in my voice, even if that voice is a little uh, abrasive at times. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what? I've never picked up on that, but okay. You didn't, um, you didn't see where I, I chastised the entire world for uh, making me cook cinnamon biscuits on Saturday and then not buying them. No, I didn't. I'll go back uh, and look though, because oh, I would also be aggravated if people asked for things and then didn't come and eat them. Like Which is like months? what's that's having a child though, so I'm getting really desensitized to it. <laughs> but yeah, <I> literally... <laughs> but, um, but but I just I appreciate your time, Zeb. You know, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, and I'm so happy the restaurant's doing well. I, I love it. And if you haven't been there or Birdie Biscuits listeners, you you must go. Yeah, hit me up. All right, Zeb. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed this and I really appreciate you having me on. All right. Well, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's this week's episode. Thank you to Zeb for joining us. And thank you for listening. If you want to keep up with me, you can catch me as Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. Again, we'll be back next Sunday with the Kimball House guys. And this has been Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. Thanks for listening. <laughs>